Welcome everyone to Cinedome's first episode of their new podcast, Cinephiliacs, where movie making becomes practical magic. I'm your co-host, Daniel Scott DeJess, and on my left here we have AK, founder of Kiro Pictures. How you doing, AK? I'm doing great. Great to be here. That's good. Well, you know who I hope is also great to be here is an esteemed guest of ours. Uh, this person is a knowledgeable reviewer of Boss Equipment. He's an interviewer of Gollum himself, Andy Serkis, and he was once a co-worker of Directors, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. It is Tim the Butt Butner! How's it going? <laughs> Welcome, Tim. Thank you. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good. It's a nice chilly day here in Florida, so feeling right at home because I'm nearly from Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually uh, how Tim and I kind of first found common ground was because uh, we are from the same state, if you didn't know that, AK. Mm -hmm. I didn't. You guys are from Vermont? We both are from Vermont. Yes. And grew up, like, not too far away from each other. I Funny get enough. It. The, yep. yep, the skin tone. You guys, I can see <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Just years apart in the, yes. in the lovely Vermont sun. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so Tim, let's get started. Um, let's just uh, tell us how you got started in filmmaking. Well, my journey started way back when I was in elementary school. I just always loved movies, uh, you know, and uh, pretty much I just knew I always wanted to do something with them. I initially wanted to act, but then kind of coming up with the ideas of what I would want to act in got me thinking about movie ideas and wanting to tell the stories and just make the actual movies, and then I got very much delved into the technical and very deep end aspect of it, and really got myself in there and through college, uh, you know, started into the stereo 3D world and went out of college and went into the stereo 3D world then. What, um, pause, what, what kind of acting roles did you do? Well, as a kid, not much. I was an extra in uh, this movie called Icebreaker, which actually had Sean Astin right before okay. he went to do Lord of the Rings. He did That's a movie super in cool. Killington, Vermont, with Bruce Campbell and Stacey Keach, directed by David Jean Cola. So it's kind of one of those funny movies where you watch it, and it's just like, okay, then Sean Astin went and did Lord of the Rings right after this. Interesting. So it's That's like, very cool. It seems like, yeah. One of the things that Vermont can now claim. Did you start it as an actor? I, I... No, well, no. Uh, I did take acting classes because I wanted to better understand the actor, and then I fell in love with acting. Um, and try. To I do also it. started as an actor. Try to that's do it whenever weird. I can. It's like acting. What what snags you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, probably because that's all we see first. Like yeah. when you're watching a movie, maybe. And also, we did the school plays because you know when I was in elementary school, they primarily gave me really good roles because I could act on the stage. What roles did you play in theater? So. I know I did the dodo, one of the dodo birds in... Oh, uh, classic. Yeah, in uh, the... Uh, it's timeless. Um, you know, a plant of all species or something, or whatever it was called. Uh, basically, but, you know, I'm going to throw this line out there because this is one, but my best thing was to the cutest girl in our class, I got to say, uh-oh, Lawson, looks like we're in the same boat, boat tits. That's, that's what, what, what was her name? Her name was Kim LaBella, so like Kim LaBella. Shout out watching. to Kim LaBella. Her father LaBella. was our gym teacher, who also ended up going on to coach the girls' high school soccer team to state championship, which Kim LaBella was part of that. Soccer Kim LaBella, team look at in me our now. Senior year of high school. 
Dang, this is just going to become... What high school do you go to, by the way? Woodstock Union High School. So this is just going to become a Woodstock Union High School podcast instead. <laughs> uh, we're just going to talk Jared. about... We're just going to talk about Coach LaBella and his daughter going to state championships. Oh, my... Well, let's just put it this way. The girls' <laughs> soccer team, they beat... We they were did hot. a scrimmage, and <laughs> they beat the boys' soccer team quite easily. There's a degree in elementary school where it was co-ed, and the coach was being yelled at by the parents, put the girls in, put the girls in. And the girls got put in, and all the girls started kicking the ass of every other play. And it's just like, that shut them up real fast, all those parents who thought the girls were being held out because they weren't as good. No, they were better than the boys. Nice. That's, that's right. Vermont. Yeah. Stepping it up. I can see it. I can see it. Uh, so, Tim. How do you define a successful filmmaker for yourself? Honestly, I think what it is is just having a sense of pride in your work and constantly improving your work, seeing what flaws were there before with your last project, working to make those flaws non-existent and make the next project always better than your last. I agree with that. Now, do you, yeah. do, you, do you feel like, though, you need to have uh, achievements that you feel like you need to reach? Like, like for some, right, they're like, I'm not a successful filmmaker unless I win an Oscar or an award or whatever, you know, a prestigious yeah. award, let's say, right? I can, I can understand that, but you're going to put yourself into a more depressed type of state of living due to the mm. fact that Getting nominated is what you should hope for ever because getting a nomination is important. But then you're in the rat race of trying to win. And if you don't win, then you're putting your whole everything on just the act of winning, which is not the right thing because it's really difficult to win those esteemed awards. So where's, where's the line between, you know, like I'm making a C movie, you know, with myself – and one actor, you know, and I'm, and then the next movie, I'm also making another C movie, but maybe this time we can afford some some fake, you know, fake blood. I mean, do you, does being a successful filmmaker have anything to do with, you know, uh, financial growth? Um, I think or having things, you know, yeah. certain elements of production to make it, you know, to I, bring I that quality. I definitely think so. If you look at some of the filmmakers that have really come out as like huge success stories look at peter jackson he spent you know like four years making bad taste on a super low budget of you know 16 millimeter film and you know like that was so like you watch it it's not necessarily at all that good of a movie but it's inventive it's creative you see the foundations but then you see the later films as he's just kept taking things to that next level where you basically have a gratuitous amount of blood in his third movie dead alive which you know i think at one point held the record for the most blood in a horror film or something like that and look at christopher nolan he did yeah the uh, following, following yep. movie which was black and white he shot it over weekends with friends over like the course of I want to say it was maybe a year or two, but he did it, you know, when he could with friends and got it made. And you know, so there is a certain amount of financial growth a part of success. But what happens if, as a filmmaker, let's say, you know, you have some growth, like myself, um, Mind Heist, first feature I did, made for like twenty thousand. Second one, two hundred fifty thousand. 
Now we're doing uh, another one that's going to be another, you know, ultra like mind heist um, one here in a, in a few months. Like, what do you what do you say to those filmmakers that you kind of see they have to, you know, they scale back just because. Well, that's where you're going back to basics, honestly. Like when the pandemic hit, look at. Sam Levinson, who had to take a pause from, you know, doing Euphoria, this huge HBO show, and he did a small little indie movie in black and white film with just Zendaya and uh, Denzel Washington's son, uh, John. Oh yeah, David the black Washington. and white one on Netflix. Yeah, Molly and. Yeah. Um, not Molly and me. Wait. Uh, Molly and Mary, something. I, sorry, I, I'm sorry, I got the name wrong, but I, you, if you look at the movie. It's, yeah. It's a fascinating movie because it's essentially all in one location, a house. They did it ultra low budget. I mean, other than maybe the scale pay that the actors were getting, like everyone probably worked for scale. And they did that because, you know, you needed to do something creative during the pandemic. And they got something made. But that's a huge scale back when you think about it from what they were doing with Euphoria. Yeah. So it's not always, I mean, so, you know, my personal opinion on it it's not you know being i think it's having the potential and opportunities for financial growth but it's not always it's not always about that because sometimes like this next feature intersection of madness that we're going to be doing um you know we have more gear more experience that you're bringing to the table that you know i didn't have during mind heist you know so um you know, and I, I, I don't think filmmaking, filmmaking is about filmmaking. It's not about, you know, I, th- and I think most importantly, it's about the execution, you I, know, of the story. Yeah. I think above all else, as long as for the best financial accomplishment to feel when you're making a movie is knowing that you have the budget to actually pay everyone a good rate so that everyone's feeling like they're earning a living comfortably doing the work that they love to do. I yep. think that above all else is like a threshold that everyone should always achieve because essentially it is a film business and mm-hmm. what is business other than paying people for their time? Yeah, one of the, the three things I, I heard is, you know, there's three types of jobs in the industry. There's the ones that pay the bills. Mm-hmm. There's the ones, the passion projects that you're not usually getting paid anything on. And then the dream is doing the projects you love and you're getting paid for it, exactly. which is very rare. That's, that's very similar to... Uh, one of the, one of the people I've worked with before, one of their like, how they choose jobs, which was very similar to that, except it was, uh, if you're if you're working with an asshole, um, pay me a lot, so that I can put up with them. Uh, if it's a good set, I'll take less money, right? Or you're not, if it's not a horrible set, um, and then obviously your goal is to be on a great set where you are making a great wage. Mm-hmm. Very similar to what you said, but it was, it was. Uh, you know, hearing this on a, on a, yeah, I mean, day. you, I think everybody gets into the filmmaking. You're not doing like, I don't, I mean, you hear so many stories of starving artists, Yeah. you know, and it is an art medium and we are artists. Um, and there is a, there is, it is a business, you know, but at the, at the forefront, if you don't create, if the story, you know, from going to the different panels, the you know different film markets and festivals they always talk about you know put the story first story first story first because you know the business is propelled by the story so you know if you have it backwards where you know you're coming up with a 
you know, a story just to make money, um, I think chances are you're not, you know, I think you'll fizz. I really do. I don't think you'll last very long. You have to find the stories that are, that, you know, are speaking to your truth um, and that you're passionate about. So, And I think that's kind of the problem with the studio system currently at the moment is they're so centered around the known properties that they're not being inventive in their storytelling. They're going with such formulaic approaches that the general audiences have been leaving the theaters for these massive movies. I mean, with the exception of Avatar, which is working on very much an old, old school theater type of... Both Top Gun and Avatar functioned on a box office level like old blockbusters used to, where it was legs. Like, oh, people would return to the theater, they'd see it again. You know, it wouldn't just be all in that opening weekend of getting people in and make as much as you can so that way you make back your money. And that's essentially what a lot of these studios have been doing for the longest time. Yeah, I mean... Speaking of Avatar, you know, it's uh, it's a story that works, you know, it's and and, uh, you know, it's I took my uh, seven year old daughter to it, you know, so it's it's the demographic, the audience range. It's it's wide. So the net's really wide. So you're capturing, you know, a lot of people. So, you know, you have to make in order to do a story like that. Um, it has to be intelligent enough to not absolutely bore adults but it has to be, you know, also dumbed down enough that children can, you know, enjoy it as well. I don't think, you know, James Cameron, he knows exactly what he's doing. Oh, he does. No, you he, know, he, he actually has the foundations of the storytelling to such a precise measure that he actually does write well. And he tells a good story, even if it's a story where all like, you know, kind of rolling eyes about going, oh, it's still Pocahontas in space, it's Stances with Wolves in space, <laughs> you know, it's Phone Gully in space. It's like, you know, yeah, we can criticize that. And yes, you know, like, it's the most simplistic story, but it's accessible to, on a worldwide market, look at how it's doing worldwide. It's accessible via multiple languages. Uh, and that's a good point. understand it, and they access it so much easier. I think that's a good point. A lot of times as, you know, American filmmakers we don't realize how good we have it. And when those types of films that have such amazing technological advances come out, I mean, it really is, you know, it's a wow factor to those those third world, you know, countries, people who don't have a whole lot. They see something like, oh my God, this is, look how real looking this looks, you know? So that's a good point. Yeah, And the leaps and bounds that he's made in the visual effects and just overall the performance capture medium has gone to new levels that it justifies doing a simpler story because you want it more accessible because you have to justify selling the technology at that Mm -hmm. point and what he did stereo 3d wise you know i remember working with stereo rigs a decade ago and you had the polarization causing slight differences between the two eyes in all of that they did, they worked really hard to fix some of the polarization issues in acquisition. So that way they had more, you know, proper capture symmetry-wise between the two eyes. And they've really excelled what they've done in visual effects and color grading with regards to stereo 3D. Hmm. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah, no, it's really exciting. I, You know, and what's cool about it is... All of the technology, like from the first one that he did, um, it, was, it was the same thing with um, Favreau when he was working. Was it magically? What was the, the LED volume? They were the first people to pioneer it. So you're talking for the Mandalorian? Yeah, Mandalorian. They what used, was the company? 
Uh, stagecraft. Stagecraft. But is Mandalore or was Favreau working with them, right? Uh, Favreau was working with them, and that was all through Industrial Light and Magic. There we go. And he was doing it on The Lion King, even, looking at certain tests. Actually, the funny thing is, I, you know, I saw one of the behind-the-scenes things on The Mandalorian where they have him going around. The, here he is using one of the Ursa minis from Black Magic Design. I'm like, of course. But you look at how much Black Magic Design is in all of that post processing workflow mm-hmm. they have their switches they have so much hardware that's used for that they've got you know just so many products that are used to capture all that stuff bring it into the computer to be able to adjust the lighting inside of uh, uh, crap, one minute, Unreal Engine mm-hmm. to actually have it correct so that what's being put onto the people with you know on set lighting can actually match. Yeah, what, what the point I was going to make is, you know, what's interesting is the technology that we're developing in the top levels of cinema, you know, for Mandalorian or whatever, it trickles down to everything. And so now yes. the new wave, the new toy on the block is the LED volume mm-hmm. that yes. everybody's, like every studio is buying, like, we got to get this or we're not competitive. But, but at the same time, like, <laughs> it goes to the same problem that always exists with new technology. It does trickle down, yes, and that's great. However, the misuse of it mm. starts occurring a lot. Look at Francis Ford Coppola's recent production. Apparently, they abandoned the LED wall, went back to green screen, and he's got a bunch of other troubles from what I'm reading. Are you talking about Metropolis? Yeah. Yeah. Where he's got, like, production designers quitting and all that. But, you know, like, there's certain instances well, where you, yeah. you look at the classic methods, and... I still look at like what people did with miniatures. Like you can still do a lot of really old school techniques and combine yeah, them all together. Yeah. Well, h- historically, I think Metropolis was hard the first time around. So, yeah. <laughs> I remember that like back in back in film school, they were talking about how much of a financial feat it was yeah. to make. So, who knows? Maybe it's a publicity stunt. <laughs> maybe. Well, you know, just like no last time, as bad publicity as they say. Yeah. No, it's true. Just like last time, Metropolis. Just as difficult to make. Can Francis Ford Coppola accomplish this feat? I don't know. Yeah, that was yeah. My, well, no, that was my he, best trailer voice. He, you know, he he has a history of um, and ad, ad, not adversion, but he has a history of troubled of, productions. Of troubled productions. You know, he had it so on he, Dracula. He had it on the most famous one, Apocalypse Now. But even Godfather. I mean, yeah, I was gonna say Godfather even had its issues. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah. With almost being shut down and everything. All right, let's move on to this yeah. next one. We're... Um, well, hey, look, I was trying, all right? But uh, you guys were having some great conversation. So, Tim, obviously you've showcased your knowledge on uh, VFX in terms of your experience there and, and post-production. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask you, obviously, recently you were uh, the colorist on uh, on a local film called Wild Man. Yes. And um, one, I, I, just so for viewers and so we're defining what exactly does a colorist do? So a colorist for The Wild Man, perfect example, because it's a found footage type of film where we had multiple different cameras being used. We had the main camera being the C300 Mark II, and then we had a Mark III version of the C300 from Canon as well. But then there were some Sony cameras, GoPros, uh, some drone footage. So what you have to do as a colorist is not only do you have to match all of those so that they all feel uniform across the whole movie, but then you also need to create a look so that you actually have a style that is scene by scene or like sequence by sequence so that way people feel through the color of the movie kind of a 
sense of what's going on in the story. And how do you, how do you approach that? You know what I mean? Like, how do you approach coloring a project? Like you talk about having to match stuff. So is that like a conversation with obviously the director, the DP or like art director in terms of like, there's a conversation with all departments usually, but when it comes to shot matching, that's almost always simple because the conversation's already been had about what's going on set dressing wise, costuming. So that way color choice is usually made there. And then it's, matter of the DP and the lighting department, lighting and lensing, but then you might have slight changes, so you might want to, oh, we need to make this shot match this because, you know, the color's a little bit different in the color temperature, or, oh, do you know, we have a slight exposure difference. So you have to make some fine-tuned adjustments just for shot-to-shot matching, but that's just exactly that. You're just making it more uniform for the scene, but then you do a creative look on top is the next thing where you're emphasizing some of the set dressing and some of the, you know, uh, costuming where if you really want to, you know, oh, emphasize this character's wearing a red dress with a lover where I'm using a classic film here, Dialing for Murder, you know, he has with her husband, her in a white dress at the beginning of the movie, then she's with her lover and she's wearing a red dress. If you really wanted to emphasize that red dress, you could make it pop more in a color yeah. grade where then mute the white a lot more too in your color grade so you can actually make those creative decisions and you do that with your director and your DP through the process. So one bar is sick. <laughs> still one bar, everybody. We are. We're, we're going on the. We're uh, still doing great. Final bit of gas. We're gonna go. We're gonna Kramer yeah. and so, uh, the yeah. I messed up today, guys. Um, you know, brought three cameras and one lens. So. So what he's saying is he's human. But yeah. that's okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's what this. That's what it's this podcast is doing, about. I was doing a checklist in my head. I was like, all right, got cameras, got sound, we're good. <laughs> well, uh, so, so I hear you didn't like, list lenses there, though. That yeah. was the thing. You said yeah. sound, cameras. Oh, yeah, lenses. But these yeah. are all the common things that you deal with within production. And then, yeah. like, you know, there's solves in post. And again, with color, the one thing that's brilliant about color software now, like DaVinci Resolve, and even the other one, which is film light, base light, which is a very common one in major post houses. So you're going to have color management where you can actually. All of these softwares know the color profiles from these camera manufacturers. They work with them. They get that. So you can actually transform all of those color profiles into a common color space for everything to work in and make life easier. Yeah, I was I was uh, with Tim the other day, and uh, so Tim's actually the one that converted me uh, to DaVinci Resolve. Um, I was a hardcore Adobe user eight years. And uh, switch over was about six months ago now. That seems about right. Yeah, yeah. six months, and uh, it's it, there's it's undeniable. Like from the render times to uh, like to give an example, uh, 115 grains, um, you know, would render out from Premiere in uh, about two and a half hours on the latest like Mac Studio Fastboy camera or uh, computer. And then with DaVinci Resolve, it was like maybe 50 minutes. So you got your render times. And you you're know. dealing with 8K. Yeah. And this raw uh, footage on that one. Correct. Too. Correct. So the film was shot on red and, um, yeah, uh, on a Red Ranger 8K. And, uh, you know, very, very um, intensive. Most computers couldn't, you know, my, um, well, interestingly enough, my previous trash can Mac Pro um, couldn't do it. It crashed trying to. So then I had to upgrade the computer. 
Um, but not only that, so you have what's great about it, Da Vinci. I mean, most people that are probably watching this already know about it, but if you don't, you know, you have everything in one platform. And, um, you know, from, you know, the media management, you know, you just go over one dial kind of down the, you know, down the assembly line of post-production. I mean, it has, I don't know if it's as competitive in the audio realm. I'd have to get with my guy on Pro Tools. I don't know if it's... As far as that goes, it's not there yet, but it's a very powerful uh, DAW kind of editor, and I know the word is DAW, uh, you know, it, it's D-A-W. Uh, I don't really remember what that stands for because I'm not an audio guy. Yeah. But yeah, like Fairlight is powerful and it's really designed for motion picture where Pro Tools is still more for music industry in many ways, but Avid, who is the ones who make Pro Tools, they are, of course, industry standards still for all non-linear editing in the Hollywood industry. Yeah, well, it just, it's, it was, it was really, it's mind blowing how much stuff they packed into this one application, you know, editing, color correction, After Effects type stuff with Fusion, you know, audio. Um, and it's done in a very, it feels very, I want to say Apple, because it's very user friendly with all the icons and. You, you want a little history here? Yeah. So back in the day, Final Cut Pro 7 was the last, you know, great version that everyone considers for Final Cut before they went to Final Cut X. Yeah. And Paul Sacone, who actually worked for Apple on Final Cut up through Final Cut 7, went to work for Blackmagic Design afterwards yep. when it was just purely still industry-level color grading. You know, it used to be like $150,000 to get DaVinci Resolve because you would have to buy the panel. <laughs> and like the, the way you got the software was buying the big, giant panels. And like yep. you were basically buying whole system. Well, then it dropped down in pricing and all that, and Blackmagic brought down the pricing a huge amount. You can still buy, like, the thirty grand advanced panel, but they have now a $3,000 panel and then a really smaller micro panel that's $1,000, basically. You know, they make all that for colorless, but then all the editing tools were added in over the course of the last decade, and you look at it, Paul Sacone's foot prints or handprints are all over it because he comes from Apple's Final Cut, goes over to Blackmagic, yeah. and they get all these nice, sweet editing features in there, and it really becomes what, honestly, I think Final Cut should have been after the, you know, going from Final Cut 7 to Final Cut X. Yeah, well, it's, it's so great. So, you know, for someone that, like myself, that primarily works as a producer-director, it's really nice to just, I mean, you're always thinking about how can I be more efficient? How can I make this more convenient for myself? And uh, yeah, everything from the uh, the title generators on there, way better than Adobe Premiere. You don't have to buy these, these plugins. Um, now, obviously, the color and what you can do with that is just like it kicks Lumetri's butt, well, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not even, there's no contest. There's no contest there. But then look at what... Uh, Adobe had before Lumetri, which was speed grade. And they had, I remember in 2014, because of someone messing up the whole process when I came to edit and color grade a project, where like, I couldn't get anything to go from Premiere to uh, DaVinci at all, because like, things wouldn't relink properly to the original RAW. But then, 
it wouldn't even go to speed grade either. And anytime I ever tried going to speed grade way back when, when I attempted anything, it was awful. It was a far easier process just doing XML over to DaVinci, and DaVinci was always more powerful than speed grade anyways. And Adobe abandoned that and went to Lumetri, but they've made small improvements to Lumetri, but it's still nowhere near what DaVinci is for color. So what I'm hearing is, folks, uh, Blackmagic stole from Apple. Hot take right here, right now. Tim, breaking news. They, we wouldn't have DaVinci without Final Cut. They stole employees <laughs> who were disgruntled. <laughs> yeah. But actually, Paul Saccone now isn't even with Blackmagic Design anymore. He's actually over at Frame. We just need to follow Paul Saccone. Yeah. Wherever <laughs> yeah. he goes, Frame.io, he's Guys, the future. Buy stock poetry. right now. Buy, you want some financial uh, tips? Buy stock with Frame.io. But that's Adobe now because Adobe acquired them back in 2020. So I take that back. So we're buy, back at Adobe. I'm going. Not, sorry, Tim. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Well, <laughs> <laughs> again, like this was something that was disappointing to me when Adobe acquired Frame.io because it's you know, like, oh, but we all just started getting away from Adobe, but... Yeah, it is crazy, though, uh, with everything you get with DaVinci, that it's only, right now, $300 for, like, not well, even that, the free oh, version. God, you get a yeah. free version. There's a free yeah. version out there, people. Yeah. Like, if you're, like, I'm unsure about DaVinci... Uh, there's a free version out there that All you can right. try, and then if you like it so much, you only have to pay three hundred dollars for the the studio suite compared you to paying buy it once because you get it correct exactly one upgrades. one price versus no, it's, what it's, you'd pay for Adobe. It's insane. No, I I spent like five thousand dollars over the last eight years for somewhere around that for Adobe, and you know when Tim he's like, oh, it's just three hundred bucks. I was like, what? And he's like, he's like, no, 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 no like three hundred dollars. And you can keep updating for the life of the. I was like, that's where. No. Way. Yeah, it, it sounds. And then, and then the fact. I mean, I knew it was free. Um, now back in the day, I before six months ago, I had used DaVinci years, like seven, eight years ago. And that was and, when it was a thousand dollars. Well, the free version. They still had the free version, um, but you could only do I think like 1080. Yeah. And I was using 4K at that time, and I was like, oh man, I can't. Yeah. Limitations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back then you had to buy a dongle. It was actually a USB dongle that you had to plug in and have a key plugged in into the computer to be able to use the studio version. So that was a thousand dollars. It then dropped to like five hundred. Then they dropped it to three hundred, and of course started giving out activation codes for you to be able to use, which was great because then you got rid of the dongle. But cut. <laughs> Not the cameras, everyone. This is a segment we called Cut, uh, and it's where we ask our guest, hey, Tim, what is something that should be cut out from the filmmaking industry? Something that you think uh, doesn't really need to be around anymore. That's an interesting question. Can I say agents and lawyers? <laughs> oh, uh, no, dude. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, hot, my my girlfriend take. used to be an agent. No, it's... Um, I mean, no, it, like, they... they they do their jobs that you need them to do, but like dealing with them can be a pain in the butt. Yeah, well, I think what filmmakers need to realize is that, you know, if you want to get paid a lot of a, a lot of money, you have to create kind of pop culture type of art that's appealing to a lot of people, and and because so much of art is what's trending or what's hot in the moment. You know, yeah. it's constantly fluctuating between, you know, the guy with the mohawk and then, you know, whatever, the this next looking type of person that fits this next 
that's in line with this next like political agenda. And, you know, so agents, uh, sales agents, talent agents, you know, they're just, you know, they're trying to, it's a bit, they're representing the business side where they're, you know, not that I'm an agent or anything, but I, you know, um, my girlfriend used to be a talent agent and, you know, they're representing the talent that are trending and that's how they're making their money. So, you know, if an agent, um, represent someone that has a good heart and is really passionate, um, even though they may be a great person, if, if they don't fit within that, you know, political kind of box where you're at, you know, it's hard for them to make money and then they're not going to focus on you. So it's, it's not personal. It's just, so if there's any agents or lawyers watching, just have better, just, just Tim wants better communication. Just let them know what's going on. All right. Yeah, that, just that's all. Just, just treat me better. <laughs> just, just Tim. <laughs> yeah. You can still look. So, guys, this is a new segment we call Take One. What? Um, so, if you guys didn't know, the uh, Motion Picture Association or the MPA has a subdivision, which actually rates movies, which is called the Classification and Ratings Administration or CARA or CARA. I don't know how you pronounce it, but uh, Cynodome has their own rating system. Uh, it's called the Cynodome Over Under Rating Association, or CORA. I don't know if AK knew this because um, yes, obviously it's, that's a fictional association, guys. Not, yeah, not guys, a real association. This is a game. This is a game, guys. <laughs> this is all new. Yeah. But uh, CORA, for short, um, this is where we uh, list out movies. And we have AK here and Tim say over or under in terms of overrated or underrated. Oh, wait, this is good. This will be fine. Okay. All right. I'm enjoying uh, So I'm just going off the top. Over, so over, under, we just say over, under. Over, under. Okay. Yeah, you can't say neutral. Okay. So got even it. if you think it's a neutral, you think it's 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 right where it's at, you got to pick one. Okay. All right. Well, you can't say, we well, can't just say good. It's a good film. Over, under. Oh, I would say under if it's a good under. film, you probably should maybe say under, right? Because yeah. you don't want it to be overrated. Okay, yeah. yeah, all right. You could try to maybe slip a good in there. We'll see, all right? All right, here we go, guys. But these are just the top top movies, just pulling them up. All right, here we go. So take one. The Shawshank Redemption. Under. Oh. Under. 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 Oh, okay. Uh, reason why? Quickly. It's a great film. It's a great film. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great film. All right, moving on. <laughs> Anything, I think it should have won Best Picture that year. I mean, it's yeah. a tough year because you have Pulp Fiction as well. But, all right, there you we know, go. Compared to you know, Forrest Gump, I'm sorry, like, no, Shawshank's so much better. All right, there you go. Should have won Best Picture. It's underrated. Uh, the Godfather, over, under. Under. Under, for sure. Why? You, you can't pick great movies. I'm Look, this is just... <laughs> look, I just pulled up IMDb Top 250 <laughs> Movies. Oh, man. That's okay. why you gotta go got to go over, it, got under. It, got, it, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm probably going to agree, because I'm very pop culture. All right, all right. So uh, under, under, under. The Dark Knight. Under. Over. Ooh. Whoa. Whoa. I, I really... Hot just... take... I am sorry to say, like, you know, listen, I love the movie, but... Hater. I was initially in theaters going, I almost put I'm going back to Adobe, guys. Batman Begins over the Dark Knight. Now, Dark Knight was still a great movie, but I think it was overhyped for what it was, you know, and it's a really good movie, but I thought Batman Begins was a slightly better movie. Ooh. Uh, let us know what you guys think. Uh... Batman Begins, better? Oh, Do you agree oh, with Tim? That's insulting to Heath Ledger. <laughs> yeah, actually, no, I'm not. He died for I'm that. Nope, Tim, that's it. You don't he get anything else. You don't get, you go, no, no. <laughs> that's it, that's it. You said, dark, you said Batman Begins better than Dark Knight. Moving on. Uh, the Godfather Part 2. 
definitely uh, under. I don't know. I'd say both over, of them. Over. You think the Godfather think and the Godfather Part Two are over. underrated? The first one was my favorite. First one, yeah. yeah. I think, uh, mm. yeah. That's, I, that's how I, I feel. I like. definitely always say that Godfather Part Two was better than Part One because <clears> I think <throat> it's a beautiful juxtaposition of Michael decli- declining in, in his family, while Vito <laughs> is, you know kind of moving upwards. So you see the rise of Vito. We know what the story is. We can look the log line up. <laughs> uh, this is a, a, it's like a mix, like water with a little mix thing in there. It's yeah, a, for your throat. We're not sponsored by this, but this is a M-I-O or Mio. I have no idea how to sponsor or how it's pronounced. Sweet. I can show you the packaging at the end of this if you'd like. All right, guys, let's finish up here. Uh, we'll try to knock these out really quick. I want speed round, speed round okay, here. here we go. All right. Uh, the 12 Angry Men. Over. If you haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, I'm going to say over. Over. All right. Uh, Schindler's List. Under. Really, Under. dude? <laughs> it's it's a tough movie to rewatch oh. because it's so difficult. Fucking it's, good. It's so good, but it's just like it's over like, under over it, under Tim. No, I'm saying it's under. Oh, okay, under okay. But it's just it's a it's really hard wrenching to rewatch it. So it's just it's it's a tough one to boom. <laughs> it's hard to watch. Everybody. Yeah. It's underrated, but it's hard it to watch. Puts you under. Uh, Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King. Over. Yeah, I'm going to go with over just because they should have had the score on the Shire. If they had had that, that would have been happy. <laughs> Freaking score of the Shire makes that an under overrated film. Uh, Pulp Fiction. Under. Yeah, I'm going to go with under. We don't need to know why. I think it's over. But <laughs> Dan's hot take slipping in there really quick. Uh, I actually have a friend. I'm only really saying that because I have a friend that loves Pulp Fiction. Like, it's his favorite film. Uh, so he can come at me with words later. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Under. Over. Okay. We'll leave it at that. And last one, Forrest Gump. Over. It's... Oh, that's hard. Probably, probably over just because it's so over-talked about. But it's a good... I enjoy the film. I enjoy the film. It's a good watch. It's a good watch. It's a good watch. It's not under, like you know, understated. Like, it's everyone knows Forrest Gump. I mean, they made a restaurant about it. Gump? What do you think is a better film to rewatch? Or not even rewatch. Hang on. You got two choices. Forrest Gump or Schindler's List. Which one's a... Uh, if you had to recommend which one to watch right now... It's easier rewatch to do Forrest Gump. Th- throw out rewatch. Which one would be easier to watch right now? Because you're going to be uplifted recommend. from Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. You're going to be Forrest so Gump. down after Schindler's List. Schindler's is depressing. It's so It's depressing. so sad. Yeah, no one wants to b- bring that to a fucking Christmas party. <laughs> hey, guys. I hope you're having a great yeah. year. We're movie night. Christmas movie night. Guess Schindler's what we're watching? List. Schindler's List. Are you going to rewatch a movie that makes you want to curl up in a ball and just cry? So, I mean, Tim, I like, do that with every movie. I got a question for you. Movie that you've seen within the last 90 days you really highly recommend? Within the last 90 days. Well, if you haven't seen Banshees of Inishirin, I really, really enjoyed that one. The Irishman? The Inishirin. What? Banshees of Inishirin. <laughs> the Irishman is a different movie, yeah. sir. It's, it's an Irish film, yeah. <laughs> he, said, he said the Banshees of... <laughs> <laughs> this dude here is Irish. I, I, I thought he was Irishman, giving an accent to it. The Irishman? 
<laughs> There's a yeah. film out like that. It's on HBO. Irish it's called Banshees of Irishmen. No, that's yeah. the movie he's talking about. And it's not Banshees of it's not the Banshees of Irishmen. It's the Banshees of it's, whatever he said. Yeah. You it's know the what? Banshees of Nishwin. Hey, I may have dyslexia. Guys. The Irishman yeah. is actually a film on Netflix. If you didn't, no, know. I know, I know. The, the Irishman is directed by Mons Scorsese. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Colin Farrell's in that movie. Long. Everybody, uh, one sentence as to why people should watch it. One, one sentence. sentence. Yep, one sentence. That's all you get. It's about Irishmen. It's a good parable <laughs> to how war is in a society where two friends all of a sudden become enemies. You know, it's funny. Well, that was actually really I good. I started watching it and I turned it off. I was like, this is so fucking boring. Probably because you were, thought it was the Irishman. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> You're like, where's Robert De Niro? He hasn't showed up for 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't know. So what's a movie you have, uh, you saw in the last 90 days? Uh, last 90 days? Most recent? Puss in Boots and The Last Wish, everybody. That was That's what you would recommend? Out of and 90 I, days? Out of, oh, the last 90 days. It's literally just what's on the top of my head. I've been watching... After I saw this movie, I've been watching breakdown videos like as like a relaxation on why the villain in that movie is a really great written uh, and, and Puss in Boots. In Puss in Boots. Okay. The villain... The villain, the villain is baller. Boots a chance. Look, nice. look, well, the animation, the animation is great. I'll say that. It's, um, you know, let's say it's closest to uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Avatar. Uh, the action, yeah. The action sequences are actually really entertaining. Um, and they do the cool uh, stop motion frame rate thing they've kind of done with like um, Lego Movie and with Spider-Man into okay. the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. But it's only the action scenes, which actually makes it very interesting to watch. Uh, one of the scenes had it where you had two characters talking and they weren't fighting yet, but the action was going on behind them. And so the action behind them was in the stop motion. was again in that stop motion aspect while they were up in the higher frame rate, which mm. juxtaposed it and made it actually it was just interesting. It caught my eye. Cool. Um, but yeah, it's actually very entertaining. The uh, John Mulaney play uh, plays a overweight the the uh, blueberry dude, the old rhyme about the guy with the puts his thumb in a pie and tests it and everything. John Mulaney uh, has some very funny lines. Also, there is a... Oh, I don't know if I want to spoil because this was a very... Yeah, yeah, don't. I don't want to spoil much about it. Yeah, um, you don't want to spoil it. Well. But one got, line. One line. Why you go see it. It actually relates to adults more than you'd expect. You heard it here, guys. Animated movies are not just for children. That's right. It's not. Well, if I had to give one movie that I've seen in 90 days, it was really, it was really, um, took me back to my film school days. It's called Bardo. Um, I, knew, by, I uh, knew you were going to say that. By uh, <laughs> Alejandro Orito, right? Is that mm-hmm. how you say his name? I think so. Uh, Orito, I can't say it's anyone's name. All, the, all my favorite directors, like I didn't, I got corrected recently by a producer here. Um, I used to call him Villanueve. I didn't realize it's Villeneuve. Villeneuve, yes. Well, it's French. <laughs> no. Freaking. The French pronunciation. First, yeah. it, first yeah. it's freaking saying the Banshe- Banshees of the Irishman, and now you're saying Dylan- hey. De- Dennis Villeneuve way. I'm just, guys, if you're a filmmaker <laughs> with a strange name, I'm going to butcher it. When you're what about my last name? I have a. Yeah, I, I was have... calling you DeGessy for the longest oh, time. Fine, I didn't know it was I mean, DeGess. It, so, it's but, Bar- but Bardo, guys, it is, if I had to say one, one line, line about it, it is um, the most modern example of cinematic art that I've seen Whoa. in the last seven years. Would you agree it's a French New Wave? It's sim- there's some similarities. 
I've never to, seen the French do a wave. Just saying. To, yeah. There's some similarities to it, but you know, just in terms of obviously, you know, so um, Alejandro Arito, he won the Oscar for Birdman, for The Revenant, and um, he just, it was very, the imagery was extremely metaphorical for some really, um, you know, deep issues, and uh, the cinematography was exceptional. Um, he's a big fan of just using like fisheye lenses, like mm. just like in The Revenant. So a lot of the movies in like super wide, super, super wide. wide angles, but it it feels because of that, you know, you feel like you're actually there because it. I mean, it, it just the perspective of it, you know, it feels very real life because you see so much in the frame, um, and you know, to direct for that, to have all that kind of interest placed all around the uh, out of the frame i think it's is not an easy thing to do so it's really cool it was a really cool it's very metaphorical um you know film so highly recommend so uh for those of you watching we have the banshees of the irishman initial uh which probably be up for oscar nomination we have uh bardo Mm -hmm. which probably should be up for oscar nomination i think it will be uh, and then we have Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, guys. That will definitely not be <laughs> up for an Oscar nomination. I'm just no, kidding. Actually, no, it maybe. It'll probably get nominated. Well, no, it yeah. came out. It came out. Uh, It'll be for this I think year. It came out this year. Yeah, it came, it came out, out in January. December. No, oh, it, it did come it out did, in December? Yeah, because it was nominated wow. for the Golden Globe. So. Slipping in. Yeah, slipping this in, in there right before. Listen, they sometimes do that. Like, you know, I remember seeing Munich in January of 2006, but it had a limited release in 2000. Five and you know that was nominated. Honestly, I think that well, Brokeback Mountain should have also won over Crash. I will always over whoa, Crash is the shittiest movie. You heard it here multiple times over the years, guys. That Crash should not have won that uh, Oscar. Crash was Crash was a good film, and that's it. That's all all you're (laughs) saying about that movie. All right, guys. uh, Sadly, we are going to have to wrap up the very first episode of Cinedomes. Newest podcast, Cinephiliacs, where movie making becomes practical magic. Yep. We'll see you guys here next time. As always, Thank you I for have. Thank having me on. Well, hang on. Thank We're not there. God, yeah, what? Okay. Give yeah, me a sorry. second. Guys. You guys are rushing me. Are you rushing or dragging? Where's that from? What quote movie? Um, uh, Rush Hour. Whiplash, man. Come on. Um, all right. Uh, as always, I have been one of your co hosts, Daniel Scott DeJess. And with me is. AK founder of Kiara Pictures, and please give a round of applause for our esteemed guest, once again, Tim the Butt Butner. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Tim. Uh, where can we find you, Tim? Uh, you can find me on, uh, let's see, Twitter at TimButt2, Instagram TimButt2 Official, uh, Facebook is TimButt2 as well, and like a lot of it's, you can find me TimButt2. TimButt2, everybody. That's a good name. I like. It, yeah. I didn't realize you've. We've been following each other for the longest time. I never said that name, that handle out loud. That's creative, Tim. Well, now everyone's going to be calling you the Tim Butt, butt again. Oh yeah. So old high school nickname it, that he said I could use. Yeah. Tim the Butt Butner. Oh yeah. Tim Butt. It's a family two. nickname, actually. I like it. That's a good. <laughs> my that's, grandfather that's, that's was the Butt. My uh, my father. Tim was Butt two or, yeah. or the Tim Butt. butt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Timbuktu. Like Timbuktu, but Timbuktu. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. Thanks, guys. I hope you have a wonderful life. Sweet.